I love Mary, love Pastor Mary. Is there any way you can freeze that last frame so we can see her face? No, I don't want to go play it over and over. Can we see her face again? Maybe not. Well, whether we can or not, I'd like us to, to pray for Pastor Mary for uh, the interim that she's on in Kenya. And um, so look at where she was up on the screen. And um, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for Pastor Mary. Thank you for this interim trip. Thank you for the opportunity that she has to connect with brothers and sisters in Kenya. We pray that you will bless them and keep them. We pray that you will reveal yourself to them in amazing and surprising and unexpected ways. And we ask that you would bring them back here, give them traveling mercies, so that when they return, they have surprising stories of grace and your faithfulness and your love to relate to all of us. And Lord Jesus, we ask you that you would be with us. I pray that you would prompt my words, Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, that you would then take the message that you want to convey to each of us and press it deep into our hearts that we may be fed and led by you and met by your grace and your peace. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 So I, I need to do just a little bit of a, a flashback. So travel with me. You know, this is back to the, the big hair days and the times where the jeans would sit up here like around your belly button. Yeah, the, the 80s, and you guys really wish that you could have lived then, I know. Um, back in the 80s, Mary and I were actually classmates right here at your very fine college. And although we didn't know each other back then, I knew of her. And I knew that she was a super smart person and very funny and very engaging and loved the Lord immensely. So she's the very same Pastor Mary that you know now. And then I found out that she was actually pre-SEM. And I remember thinking, oh, oh, girls can't do that. So the very fact that I am standing here today just goes to show you, be careful of your judgments. <laughs> and God really does have a sense of humor. So... Um, it's great to be here tonight. Uh, it's a little bit past my bedtime, so hope you <laughs> deal with me. Um, heard somebody over here say, I'm tired. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting ready to go to bed normally now, so I really do need the Holy Spirit to prompt my words and to, to meet us here. I bring you greetings from Madison North Church. Um, I think we have a slide to take a look, give you a taste of, of who we are. We meet in a school, so we meet at Kent Hills Elementary School, those of you that are from Grand Rapids, you might know where Vitali's is. So we are right by Vitali's, go out for pizza afterwards. And um, so being in this round area actually makes me feel right at home because you can see we worship in the round. And um, we are part of Madison Square Church. And as Pastor Mary was saying, we launched about a year ago since that God was calling us to worship right where we live and be present to our neighbors and neighborhoods. And um, so we uh, feel called to worship with our lives, um, to worship with our lives across ages, cultures, through Jesus, by the Spirit, and um, would love to have you come and stop by, come check us out, and if God is asking you to stay, to, to stay. One of my um, biggest regrets, I think, as a college student was actually that I didn't get connected in a church, that I didn't begin to find a church home. So whether that is Madison North or some other church, I think 
There's probably a few of them around. Um, invite you to go and, and find a church where you can be connected and worship in the mornings as well in that context. So I want to dive into our theme tonight with actually a, a little bit of a, um, an informal, non-scientific survey. If you had to identify top five things that cause you to worry, cause you to get a little bit concerned, maybe, you know, wake you up in the middle of the night, get you a little bit agitated, what top five things would you say? I'm not going to give you long. So about 30 seconds, top five things that come to your mind that keep you awake at night or that gnawing feeling in the pit of your stomach. Oh, thank you for hollering out. <laughs> keep the rest quiet because I'm going to do a little survey. That was my first one. Never mind. Now you're all worried what people are thinking about you. There's another one. All right, all right, so this is going to be interactive, and I, I want you, I'm going to start naming a handful of them. If this is one of your top five, or if you actually find that it bumps off one of your top five, you go, oh, yeah, that's right, I forgot about that one. Now I've got more to worry about. Um, stand if you can identify with these. So for those of you that are worried about the future, stand. <laughs> it's everyone. All right, all right, okay, so now what do I do? Okay, if you identify with the rest of these, go ahead and raise your hand like this. You can put it back down after that. But those of you who have a little bit of anxiety or worry around relationships. All right. Grades. Scholarships. What people think about you. Double hands. Beating hope. <laughs> Nobody's concerned. You all got good faith in there. Of course we're going to do this. All right. So I'm not sure. You got a handful of people sitting down yet. Great. Um, right about now, you might be worried that you're not more worried about things. You ever worry about worry? All right. I actually want to invite all of you to stand because we are going to read the word of the Lord and um, take these cares and the worries that are on us and allow them to carry us to the word of the Lord. So you might have guessed this already, but our, our text tonight is from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, and um, I'll begin reading at verse 25. <laughs> the title is, Do Not Worry. There, enough said, let's go home. Actually, let's hear what Jesus has to say about this. This is part of his Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? 
Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Ain't that the truth? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. So, I have a confession. I confess that I, I tend to romanticize and idealize when I think about Bible times. And so there's a part of me that I hear Jesus' words here, and I kind of stand back a little bit and go, yeah, right. What really did you have to worry about? I mean, you don't have the future, you know, concerns of scholarships. You don't have this GPA breathing down your neck. You don't have to worry about all these papers that you have to submit and all the emails that you have to reply to. You don't have to worry about, um, you know, whether people are going to like the posts that you put on Facebook. You don't have to worry how many people you have following you on Twitter or Instagram. You don't have to worry about what people are saying about you and what they're tweeting about you. You don't even have to worry about, you know, all the drama of relationships because in a lot of cases you had these at least partially arranged marriages. And then here, here's the best one. They had these really nice, wonderful, long, big, flowing robes. And so you didn't even have to worry about hiding all your jiggly parts. You know, muffin top, nope, I got a wonderful, great big robe, hey. See? What possibly is there to worry about? Actually, quite a bit. Because along with all of that, it also turns out that they didn't have antibiotics and they didn't have anesthetic, and there was plenty of infection, absolutely rampant. And when you get hungry, you couldn't just go call up delivery, couldn't go to the grocery store. You actually had to plan ahead and make sure that you had planted enough to eat and had done all the things to actually properly harvest it, and, or at least know somebody that you could barter with or maybe even pay them if you happen to have a job. And speaking of that, many of the people that are gathering around Jesus actually do not have a job. Oh, and then we got the Roman government going on, a little bit of oppression that's there. A, a context where actually, you know, you think about police brutality, a context where actually somebody would be crucified for simply being a common thief. Eh, turns out maybe there is a little bit to worry about. Actually, it seems also that we don't need to have a whole lot of opportunity to worry. It seems like we can worry about the little things just as much as we can get consumed and worry about all the big things. And it seems that the worry that we have pretty much feels the same. That worry is worry. No matter how big it is or where the source of it is, it's worry and it's the same. So let me give you a story, tell you an example about this. So a while back, about a couple of years ago, we were at a staff meeting in our church and um, one of our children's ministry leaders was there. We're all sitting around in the circle. And we're kind of sharing how the last Sunday went and some of the things that were, were coming up in that context. And she said, you know, had the strangest thing happen. 
I was amazed at, at this contrast that I'm seeing. So we're going around the circle, and this little girl raises her hand as they're sharing prayer requests, and she says, pray for me, because I'm scared about getting a shot. Now, I can feel her pain. I get this. I almost didn't want to come to college because I knew I had to get a whole series of shots. And I was very reluctant to go travel outside the country because I didn't want to get all of those shots. And it actually stems all the way back to my preschool days. And so my mom tells me the story how she was taking me in to prep me to get all of these different shots. And, and um, she's a nurse. And she was bound and determined that I was not going to be one of those kids that would embarrass her parents. And so she is walking me through everything that is possibly going to happen. They're going to walk you into this little room, Joy. They're going to sit you up on this table. There's going to be a piece of paper spread out on it. It's going to crinkle a lot. And then they're going to get a little bit of alcohol, and they're going to swab your arm, and they're going to make sure that there's no infections that are going to happen. And then they're going to take a needle. It's going to have a little, little point to it. And they're going to give you a shot. And it, I'm not going to lie, Joy. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt, but it's just going to be like a mosquito. And then before you know it, it's going to be gone. And then you're going to get a prize afterwards. So she's got this and the whole time. I'm solemnly nodding and going, okay, okay. And we walk into the doctor's office and sure enough, it's just like she said. And we come on up and I'm on the table and crinkle all the paper and everything. And I'm beginning to look all around. And then the nurse comes and gets the alcohol swab and begins to go like this. And I scream bloody murder and wiggle my way off the table and go running on down the hall. And my mom begins running the other way and go, I have no idea whose child that is. <laughs> so I can feel this little girl's pain. It's a real worry. But right around the circle, another little boy raises his hand. Her request triggers a thought in his and he says, oh, pray for me too. I'm afraid of getting shot. Getting shot, not a shot. And actually, it was a very valid worry. He lives in a neighborhood where this is a real concern. They are worlds apart. They're not even in the same ballpark. One is like less than t-ball and the other is greater than the major leagues and you go what 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 and yet yet now hear me carefully because those are two completely different things i know worlds apart and yet the anxiety and the worry that is underneath that was intense for both of them and maybe you've experienced it you know how you can get consumed and obsessed with the ordinary worries and the anxieties that can happen on your everyday life. I mean, it's like that gnawing that is just going on in your stomach, termites beginning to eat at your gut. And then a little bit later, something much, much, much bigger happens. And you look back on that little thing over there, and you go, I was worried about that? That's nothing now. I mean, I would love, I'd give anything if I could just go back to when my life was like that again. Well, there's a, a researcher at, at Harvard, his name is Dr. Daniel Gilbert, who actually tells us a little bit what's going on here. And um, so he, he refers to a study where there is this, you know, big, huge group of people that, that got together. I don't know how many, there was lots and lots of them. And they divided them into two groups. 
And so just to make it a little bit more real, you guys will be one group and you guys can be the other group. So the first group, they take them and each one of them comes in individually, one by one into, into this room that they're gonna be studying and they, they hook them all up to electrodes. You know this is gonna go really well. They, they hook them up to electrodes and then all kinds of other little wires and contraptions coming out because they're going to collect the data that will indicate how much they're sweating and how much anxiety is there. So they're measuring, you know, pulse and blood pressure and sweat and just all of these indicators that they are feeling anxious and that there's worry. And then they tell them, they said, what's going to happen is you are going to receive 20 electrical shocks and they are gonna hurt. Now, I'm hoping they got paid a lot of money and of course did all the paperwork and everything. So they tell them that and they collect all the data for each of the persons and you know, have all of that. Well, then they go on and they do it to the other group and they hook them all up to the electrodes and all the other little wires and contraptions and everything to collect all of the data for them and they tell them almost the same thing. They say, well, you are going to receive 20 shocks. 17 of them, you're going to be so mild, you won't even feel them. You'll hardly even know that they're there. Three of them, and you won't know when they're going to happen, three of them are going to be really strong, and they are going to hurt a lot. All right, so which group do you suppose sweated more? Definitely this one, and their conclusion is saying, you know, it's not the intensity of the pain. It's not the intensity of the shock. It was the uncertainty of when it's going to happen. Similar sort of thing, they look at colostomy patients, so people who've had part of their colon removed and, and then end up having to excrete into a bag. Six months out of the surgery, people who had colostomies that were, it was absolutely permanent, were found to be much happier than a group six months out that was told, well, actually, there might be a chance that we can reverse it and you can be back to normal. The group that knew for sure, for sure, that this was permanent, far happier than those that were wondering, well, maybe actually there's a chance. Again, citing this feeling of being in limbo and not knowing and the uncertainty, and I thought, aha, that's exactly it. That is so much of what our worry is, is not knowing how it's going to turn out. And it's actually exactly what is underneath the Matthew 6 text. So if you begin to look at, now let's look just at the disciples that are here. They had given up their entire livelihood. They quit their jobs. They left everything behind and said, we're going to go follow you, Jesus. We believe you. And so looking ahead, I can imagine them saying, okay, Jesus, we, we trust you. We know that somewhere down there you got this and you are up to something. And we trust that you are, are you got it. But Jesus, we also hope you have a plan for right now. Because we got some like really practical things that are going on. I mean, we know you're doing something down there, but we got to eat right now. And we got to worry about our clothes, and we don't know where we're going to sleep tonight. I mean, Jesus, there's some really practical things, and we just don't know what's going to happen and where they're going to come from. Hear the uncertainty? It's the same exact thing in our lives. And it's why we can't say to ourselves when we're getting caught up in this worry cycle, it's why we can't say, oh, just snap out of it. Just, come on, stop worrying. I mean, it might work for a little while. But before you know it, you're pulled right back into that place and going, I'm wondering how it's going to work. 
I wonder how it's going to turn out. But I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know what's going to happen. It's the same reason that you can't just go point to somebody else and go, okay, I really shouldn't be worried about this. It's such a small, tiny, little, insignificant thing. There's people over there that have it a lot worse off. I mean, I shouldn't be worried about this. That, too, might work for a little while. But before long, I mean, you're going, I don't care about them. I'm not caring about me. I don't know how this is going to turn out. And besides, there just seems something wrong about taking comfort in the fact that somebody else has it worse off. So if you can't just snap out of it, and if it doesn't do any good to just compare it to people who have it more or worse off, what are we supposed to do? Well, let's come back to the root of the problem, the uncertainty that's here. Take a look at a, a quote by this same Harvard researcher, so Dr. Daniel Gilbert. He says, an uncertain future leaves us stranded in an unhappy present with nothing to do but wait. And then because he's talking about the economy here, he says, our national gloom is real enough, but it isn't a matter of insufficient funds. It's a matter of insufficient certainty. Uncertain future, insufficient funds, insufficient certainty. And it makes me go, hmm, I think that the hope of the gospel has a little something to say about that. As a child of God, your future is most certainly not uncertain. And so if the, the taproot of worry is uncertainty, then the antidote is to look to the one who knows and who holds and who reigns not just eternity, but actually every single iota and second of your entire day, which actually is exactly what Matthew 6 is getting at. Seek first the kingdom of God. Let's take a look at that phrase. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, my guess is that if you grew up in the church, how many of you grew up in a, a church context? Okay, I did. For those of us who have grown up in a church context, we have heard this over and over and over. We've heard it so many times that we really actually don't even hear it anymore. Or when we do hear it, we tend to churchify it. And we make it all about the emphasis is on seeking the kingdom, and we forget the one who is actually the king of the kingdom. And so we make it formulaic. All right, I'm not going to worry. That's right. I'm going to try not to worry now. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think a lot about God, and I'm going to have my devotions, and I'm going to get out my journal, and I'm going to go to chapel every single day, and it's going to continue even after interim, and I'm going to go to loft, and I'm going to go loft even when there's a guest preacher, and I'm going to get involved, and I'm going to serve, and I'm going to be about, I'm going to begin thinking about God. And I say, yes, 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 a thousand times, yes. All of that is actually part of the kingdom, and, and spiritual disciplines help us bend toward God and pay attention to what he might be up to. And God is ushering in his kingdom, and he invites us to participate, and so serving, yes, yes, yes. And volumes and volumes and volumes have been written about the kingdom of God. Some of you are probably writing about it for your interim classes right now. 
It's big and it's huge. And there's a lot to be said and everything that we just said fits under that big, huge umbrella of the kingdom of God. But here's the narrow, little, teeny piece that I would like us to focus on. We cannot rightly talk about the kingdom of God without talking and seeking the king. Let me say it again. We cannot rightly serve and seek the kingdom of God without first seeking the king. Another way of actually saying this verse, and maybe a way of seeing it in its fullest picture, would be to say, seek first the kingdom of God, where king is big and bold and strong. So seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the sovereign reign of God, who reigns over all of eternity and, yes, over every single second of time, the things that are here today and gone tomorrow, the one who's got this, the one who says, I actually got you. I got your back, and it's going to be okay. Let me give you an example. So back to my senior year of college, I, I, I didn't quite switch my major you're going to begin thinking I'm really wishy-washy, so I move all over and everything. But I didn't quite switch my major, but I switched programs because when I entered in, I was secondary education, biology, chemistry focus, and then throughout the time, I began doing research here at Calvin um, with one of the research advisors in the department and fell in love with doing research and said, I want to go on to grad school. And um, so my senior year now, I switched programs out of the education to be able to go on to grad school, which means you got to pick up a bunch of new classes. So senior year, one of the classes get this big, huge, crazy assignment. And already I'd been feeling like, you know, if this is the bar, I am just underneath it. I'm like, wow, okay, anything more is just going to push me over. And I get this assignment, and it just pushes me over the top. And I begin to lose it. And I go, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. I can't do it. And if I don't get a good grade on this, then I'm going to blow my GPA. And if I blow my GPA, then I'm not going to get into grad school. And if I can't get into grad school, then I'm not going to have the job that I want. If I don't have the job that I want, then my whole life is ruined. Yeah, a little bit dramatic. And I, I remember going to my advisor. Now, at this time, again, not just an academic advisor. Um, but he'd been my research advisor, and he'd seen me, you know, mourn about this all along, and he'd, um, he knows my perfectionist tendencies. Anybody else out there? He knows my overachieving abilities. I mean, if you, if you can get the A, then you've got to get the A, right? And, and so he's heard this from me many times, and he's the one that was, you know, responsible for me to even want to go into grad school. So I'm in his office, and I'm saying, I just can't do this, and it's just going to be awful, and I don't know what's going to happen. And he looks at me, a little smile on his face, annoyed me, and he says, Joy, it's going to be okay, which made me really mad. I was like, no, it's not. What if it's not this time? I mean, it's been fine every single other time, but what if this is the one time that it's not okay? He says, Joy, it is going to be okay. Yeah, but you don't know this. This could be different this time. It is going to be okay okay. Yeah, but, yeah. and I'm coming back with argument after argument after argument, and he begins to get this smile on his face a little bit bigger, and his grandfatherly way just looks at me, and he goes, Joy, it is going to be okay. And all of a sudden, something shifted in me. I thought, I think he's trying to tell me something. 
So at that point, I wasn't very good at reading coded messages. But I began to think, I think he knows something that I don't really know. Hmm. So I go and I do the whole assignment. And, you know, the crazy thing is I have no idea now what that assignment was. I don't even remember what class it was for. I don't remember what, I mean, such is the nature of worry, right? Worry about these little things and it's gone. In fact, I don't even remember a lot of these details, but I can feel the sentiment and I know the emotion. So I finished the project and it turned out to be one of those things where you do all the work and you get the grade and it's actually graded, but your grade can't actually harm you it could only help you. So you can't go down, it could only raise it up. All right, this text, Matthew 6, is Jesus saying, it is going to be okay. Matthew 6 is the Holy Spirit taking the, the chin of our, our gaze or taking our chin to place our gaze and to say, look at the one who is on the throne, the one who has never left the throne, the one who has always been on the throne, to take the gaze of our eyes and to begin to see Jesus, the one through whom all of our life has been given back to us, the one who has already removed all of the, the guilt and all of the shame of all of our failures, and I didn't do it good enough, the one who ends up coming back to us and taking all the bad things and flipping them around for good, the one who gives us beauty for ashes and joy instead of despair, the one who gives us, redeems us, holds us, the one who says, I will not let your foot slip, so that even if our foot does slip, we cannot slip beyond his grip. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. See, this isn't about our performance. It's actually all about his. He's the one who's done this. He's the one who has said, it is finished. And now you get to go play. You get to go dance. You get to go be free. You get to go work. You get to go explore. He says, no, seek me. Seek my righteousness. It is going to be okay. And we say, but, 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 no, it is going to be okay. But, but, it is going to be okay. Yeah, but I might fail that test. It is going to be okay. Yeah, but she might break up with me. It is going to be okay. Yeah, but I don't know if I'm going to get my scholarship back. It is going to be okay. I don't know if I'm going to be able to come back here next year. It is going to be okay. I don't know what they're going to say about me. It is going to be okay. Yeah, but I don't know what's going to happen next year. It is going to be okay. But it might be cancer. It is going to be okay. It is going to be okay. It is going to be okay. Not because everything is going to be perfect. Not because your worst case scenario will never happen. No, it is going to be okay because your life is not in your hands. It is in the hands of the one who is the king of the kingdom. And even the worst case scenarios, your very, very worst nightmare cannot derail God's good toward you. Go back to my senior year phrase. Even your worst case scenario, the most awful thing that you can imagine happening to you, 
in the hands of God. That might hurt. It might hurt a lot. But in the hands of God, ultimately, that cannot harm you. It can only help you. It is going to be okay. It is going to be okay. It is going to be okay. You have a great God, and he is holding you in the palm of his hands and sustaining the entire universe. It is going to be okay. Okay. Let's get really practical. Does that mean that you will never worry again? Mm-mm. 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 In fact, you might walk out of here feeling a great sense of peace, and the moment you hit the cold air outside, anxiety comes right in again. We have hearts that are prone to wonder and hearts that are prone to worry. And God knows that. We're human. But he also gives us his spirit. The Holy Spirit who again takes our chin and puts our gaze on the one who says it is going to be okay. And you might find that you get to do that over and over and over again. You know what that does? Every time we get pulled into worry, we find that again, we have the opportunity to exercise that trust muscle. To go, all right, I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust. A few years ago, I was riding with my daughter, who around that time was 12, maybe 13 years old. And she was really obsessed about something going on in her life, something happening at school. And then all of a sudden she goes, oh, that's right, but I can't worry about it. And I looked at her, I'm like, what do you mean you can't worry about it? And she goes, well, I gave up worry for Lent. <laughs> and I thought, brilliant. That's, that's it. That's life in the kingdom. And so I look at her and I said, well, how's exactly that going for you? And she goes, well... And she says, I, I, I find myself worrying, and then I give it to God. And I worry, and I give it to God. And I worry, and I give it to God. And I go, nope, I can't do that. And I thought, brilliant. See, that is kingdom living. That is seeking first the kingdom of God. And I want to invite us to exercise our trust muscles right now. So would you please stand? I'm going to lead us in a prayer in just a moment. I want to say something that I meant to say at the very, very beginning, and I neglected to. And just to clarify, to make sure that this isn't a misunderstanding anywhere along, I want to say that this is not an anti-anxiety medication, just trust Jesus more sermon. Please, please do not hear me saying anything against anti-anxiety meds. Um, Anti-anxiety medication and trusting Jesus are not mutually exclusive. And anti somebody say amen. <laughs> and anti-anxiety medication, if, in fact, is a means of grace in our life. And so is prayer. 
And so that's why I would like us to pray right now. Um, would you do this? Take your hands, place them right over your gut, because sometimes when we are anxious and worried, that's where you can feel it. And just ask the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to identify what it is that's there. What are the worries that you begin to feel in your gut? You might want to close your eyes. Let the Lord prompt them. What's lying ahead of you this week? And now take your hands again, put them up on your chest, because sometimes you feel it there. It's like this big weight sitting right on the top of your chest, and you can hardly breathe. What are the things that cause you anxiety that you feel it here? And now I want to invite you to exercise that trust muscle by the Holy Spirit by now taking your hands and giving it to God. And in fact, I want you to go a little bit like this and then turn your hands this way. This is the universal sign of surrender. In fact, it's the way you would approach a king. And we have a good and gracious king who is Lord of all. So God, we give you glory. We bless your name. Thank you that you don't shun us and turn your gaze away from us, but you turn your face toward us. Thank you that you reign over every one of our days, and we give you now. We give you all that is weighing on us, knowing that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, and through you, through you, because nothing can separate us from your love, through you, you say, it is going to be okay. And we say hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing actually a song that is actually all about that posture. He is exalted. He is exalted. It's a great way to, so I invite you to continue worshiping in that and continue giving to God all that would be weighing on you. Let's worship. <laughs> 